sure it's always a time where we get to maybe look back, reflect a little bit on the last year, and, and then also look ahead, you know, to what's coming up in this upcoming year. You know, it's also obviously a time when Christmas is over, which makes me kind of sad because I love Christmas, love everything about Christmas. Uh, there's just something about those few days, isn't there, that Christmas Eve and Christmas where just kind of time stands still. You know, just, there's just a certain amount of peace and, and just goodwill and, and love during those times. And it's just, I just want to bottle that up and just not let it ever end. You know, but, you know, it does though, right? Um, the other thing I like about Christmas is that, that Jesus is really everywhere, right? Isn't that great? I mean, for a couple of weeks or maybe even a month, you get Jesus everywhere, nativity scenes all over the place you got christmas songs that talk about jesus and movies that talk about jesus and are christian themed if you're a member of prestonwood and in particular if you're a volunteer at prestonwood you got the gift of christmas reminds you of jesus for about 30 full days every single day of practice and and the the shows but i just love that jesus is everywhere and then all of a sudden it's over and for a lot of people in a lot of this world, it's suddenly Jesus is gone. You know, it's probably similar uh, to what you saw in the book of Acts when Jesus ascended up into heaven. Okay, can you imagine? Just think about, bring yourself back to those times. Uh, it talks about it in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read those. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. But I want you to just think about what the disciples were, were kind of uh, going through here and, and, and maybe what they were thinking. Um, Got to get my glasses because I can't see. That's a sign of getting old, I think. This is book of Acts was written by Luke. It's kind of a continuation a little bit of, of the book of Luke. And you'll see there he talks about, it says in the first book there, in verse 1, O Theophilus, okay, that's just a friend of his. He's writing with maybe two says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Can you imagine, though, what the disciples are thinking here? I mean, they had walked with Jesus for the past several years you know, when I talk about how Christmas makes me feel, can you imagine how, how, how peaceful and comfortable and secure that Jesus made them feel? I mean, you get to, 
you know, think about what he does in your own life, but imagine walking with him every day for three years and how much he must have meant to them and in, in their life, right? I mean, you know, just imagine this situation, and they're so excited. They've watched him die on a cross, and now he's been raised from the grave, and, and now all of a sudden he's speaking to them, and then he's taken away. He's gone, okay? He must be standing around just thinking, okay, now what? Now what? Now what do we do? Not exactly a, a, a perfect analogy, right? But similar to us today, you know, Christmas was here. Jesus was everywhere. And especially out in the world, we saw him all around us every day. It was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And now kind of he's gone, at least out in the world, a lot, big degree. We've kind of put Christmas nativity scenes back in the boxes. He's no longer here. And now what? You know, what do we do now? You know, what, what's, what's next? What do we do? We're at the beginning of this year. Now what? Well, New Year's is a time of now what's, isn't it? We call them resolutions. Right? A resolution is a now what. New Year's resolutions comes from the word resolve. Uh, resolve just simply means to decide firmly on a course of action. To decide firmly on a course of action. And uh, I was doing a little research on resolutions. They go back a long ways. Uh, the first time that we see something similar to a resolution in the U.S. was in 1813 when a Boston newspaper talked about New Year's resolutions, about making right something that you had done wrong in the prior year. But it goes back even way, way further than that, uh, all the way back to 2,000 years before Christ. Uh, the Babylonians used to actually make pledges to the gods each year. All right, and then 1671, though, is when the real term was first used, resolution. And it was a Scottish writer, Annie Helcott, wrote down these promises that were based on the Bible. Okay, they were based on the Bible, and she called them resolutions that she made at the beginning of a year. And obviously, still today, people make resolutions, right? Erin says she doesn't, but most people... Most people make New Year's resolutions. I found all kinds of lists when I was looking up things for this lesson, and I found things like spend time with friends, right? Stop smoking was on a bunch of lists. Get out of debt, another pretty good one. Uh, learn something new. Uh, get organized. I saw uh, Nick Hall, the guy that came and talked about his revival that he held this past summer. I saw he posted something that said to spend less time on his devices, something that I could certainly use. Uh, and, of course, we all see uh, on every list losing weight uh, and getting into shape, maybe exercising. Jarrett was posting pictures earlier today about donuts and battling for one of his resolutions to, uh, to lose weight. Uh, I'm sure if we go around the class, there's lots of these same. Does anybody have a unique one that they would like to share, a new unique resolution that's not on that list? Anybody brave enough? Does that capture it all? Francis, you got one? Huh? Cook less. Boy, I don't like that. Cook less. That sounds terrible. Huh? cook less sweets well that'll help on the exercise the diet I'm sure too the losing weight my resolution to myself was I I'm trying to be more positive in my business career 
been a lot of years of negative, so my resolution was to be more positive. We'll see how long that lasts, all right? We'll see how long that lasts. See, there you go. I got to work on it. I got to work on it. We got to work on it. Okay. Jog with your dog. Well, that captures a bunch of them. Spending time with a friend and exercise and help you lose weight and everything. That's a good one. You know, the thing that uh, is, is, is interesting about resolutions is many people that have them is basically the same number of people that aren't able to keep them. In fact, if you look, there's a lot of statistics out there about this, and it says that uh, more than 90% of the people that make a resolution fail to keep that resolution, and it usually only lasts about 30 days, okay? And I, I, I did some research on this, and it says that data shows that shoppers buy 15% more ice cream and desserts and 35% more pizza in early February than during the first two weeks of January. How about that? And then I found another that said that by February 4th, there is an uptick in visits to fast food restaurants and a downturn in trips to the gym. <laughs> they traded in the health club for McDonald's. It all happens in the beginning of February. Well, tonight, I've got a suggested resolution for us. And maybe even better, I've got a suggestion for how we keep that resolution and it is one, like the Scottish writer, Annie, said, that is inspired by the Bible. In fact, it's one that Jesus gave to the disciples when he ascended into heaven. And we see that resolution. We see the resolution and how we keep it there in verse 8 of this chapter 1 of Acts. And it's the last part of verse 8 there that says, You will be my witness, witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So our resolution for all of us as Christians should be to go be a witness. I mean, can you think of anything more important than resolving, firmly deciding to go be a witness for Christ? It's got to be more important than all of those other things, right? Going and telling people about Jesus, being his witness. And what, do you, what does that word witness mean? Because we, we're pretty familiar, I bet, almost everybody in here with this Acts 1.8, and go be a witness. But what does it mean? What does be a witness mean? I mean, we really could look at it in terms of where we're most familiar, right, in a trial, you know, a, a witness being on the witness stand. What it really means to be a witness is to testify, to testify as to what God has done for you. That's why we say that, that it's personal. Your testimonies are personal. Because when you're going to be a witness, it's just to testify about what God's done in your life. It could also, though, be to testify about what God's done for all of humanity. Right? Stepped out of heaven, wrapped himself in flesh, came to earth. We just celebrated the birth, lived a perfect life, died a death on our behalf for our sins, was raised from the dead to conquer death, hell and the grave so that we by believing in him can conquer death hell and the grave see we can be a witness to that we can testify to the gospel to the gospel message we can also testify to you know how he's been faithful in our life these are faith moments i like to refer to everybody's got faith moments right you can all look back in your life and you can find times that god has been faithful where he's been with you where he's helped you where he's served you where he's loved you where he's comforted you. 
Okay, well, being a witness is testifying to that. If you looked in the New Living Translation for this verse, it kind of helps define this witness. And it says that you should tell everybody about Jesus everywhere. I like that definition, right? Tell people about Jesus everywhere. All the time and all that we do, everywhere we do it, we should be telling people about Jesus, testifying to him, his name, his goodness, and what he's done for us and for our lives. You know, when I was looking at all these lists, it was, it was kind of interesting that in every one of these lists, you found one form of, I want to serve others more, I want to help others more, I want to love others more. Man, that's the beauty of being a witness of Christ. You get to do all three of those, don't you? You get to do all three of those. Now, the disciples, at the time of, of when Christ ascended into heaven, Okay, and they were given this resolution, right? This is the last, one of the last things that Christ said to them and before he was taken up. You know, they went out, right? They went out all over the world. Peter went to Rome. Uh, Andrew went to Russia and Asia and Turkey. Thomas went to Syria and India. Uh, Philip went to North Africa, Matthew to Ethiopia. They all went out. And we do this too, right? I mean, I'm sure there's some here that's been out of the country on mission trips we as a church are constantly sending groups of people on mission trips all over the world I Aaron and I get the privilege of serving on the board of a ministry called Master Cares in Uganda and I've had the privilege to go there to Uganda I, I love that I love going out and that's a that's a big part of being a, a witness for for God but I love this verse in verse 8 I think there's an intentionality there's a reason obviously that, that Jesus said it the way he said it in the in this verse 8 it says that you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea Samaria and to the end of the earth I mean I think there's intentionality by that order because if you looked at a map and you looked at these cities I will tell you that that you would look at it and you'd say Jerusalem that would be our Plano or Dallas or maybe wherever you live right Okay, it starts out in Plano, and then maybe the next level would be Texas. All right, so if I looked at it and I said Judea, I would say, okay, that's Texas. Then if I said Samaria, I would say it's the United States. And then it's to the end of the earth. I think Jesus was making a point here is that there's lots to do right where you're at. Okay, there's lots to do right where you're at. And we all have opportunities in our own lives right here in our own backyard to be witnesses, right? By word and by deed. I disciple a guy, and we're always talking about this. He, li- he, he works in an environment where it's just really, really, really hard to live out his faith. Really hard. It's hostile toward his faith. And we talk about it all the time. Is it, okay, you don't have to speak. Just the way you live out your life. You know, it's the way you serve others. The way you love others. The way you care for others. It's how people, you know, they're watching you, right? They're, they're looking at you. They're looking at the decisions you make. You know, they're looking at how you respond to things. I mean, I I, I think about it all the time. I mean, not only when I teach up here, I have my whole family here at my office, and Jade's not here tonight, but Jade, who is my executive assistant, she's in our class. Well, every single day of my office, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, she's watching me. You know, I'm going to stand up there in front of her and teach, and she's watching how I react how I answer the phone, how I greet guests, how I talk to people and on conference calls. She's watching me. 
in everything I do. And we all, though, have an opportunity, wherever we're at, by word or by deed, we all have this opportunity to be a witness, to testify as to what God has done for us in our lives, right? We all have this opportunity. We all can be this witness everywhere, every day, in every way. That should be our model, right? Everywhere, every day, in every way to be a witness. But the real, then bigger question becomes, we all know this, and I hope that we all embrace it, okay, and we all want to do this, and sometimes we can get really fired up about it, and we may leave here and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a witness, all right? That's, that's, that's my new thing. I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to go out. I'm going to testify to what Christ has done. But, but like most resolutions, how do we make sure we keep it? And how do we do it? How do we make sure we're not part of that 90% failure rate? You know, because it's hard, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I know in my life I have found it hard uh, being a witness. It's probably harder than all those other resolutions, the exercise, the, the eating and all that stuff. It's hard because everything out there in the world is, is really kind of against it, you know. It's hard. You're always going against the grain. It's not easy to do that. You know, in fact, Jesus didn't mince words. I mean, it's not like he, 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 he lied to us or didn't tell us what to expect. Matthew chapter 10, he says that we're going to be like sheep sit out amidst wolves. I mean, think about that. I mean, he's giving you, he's kind of forewarning you. I mean, I see it all the time in my life. I mean, the closer we as a family or Aaron and I as a, as a husband and wife, the closer we get to Christ, the, the more intentional we are. I can just see the devil just attacking all the time. I can just see him just, you know, just working and and just trying to undermine and to cause conflict. You can just see it out amongst wolves. You know, but, but this is not optional. I mean, keep in mind, this is not optional. You know, the words that he uses is that you will be my witness. It's a command. Okay, it may be hard, but it's not an option. You know, and sometimes when I start feeling sorry for myself about how hard it is and start wondering why can't this be easier... You know, I just want to just slap myself and just say, well, why? It's not like that was promised to me, right? I mean, Christ says that in this world you're going to what? Have tribulation, heartache. It's going to be hard. It's not going to always be easy. But you know what? That should not lessen the command, the charge, and it should not lessen our resolve, right? Just because it's hard, it shouldn't lessen our resolve to be a witness, you know, we need to remember that being a witness is, is about a cross. It's not about a country club. It's not about things being easy. It's about a cross. It's about taking up your cross daily and following Christ. And that's not going to be easy. Okay, it's going to be hard. But how do we do it? How do we resolve? How do we resolve to, to be a witness every single day in this new year? How can we make that our resolution? Well, there's only one way. And it's given in this verse. And it's the first part. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There's only one way. The Holy Spirit, God. That's the only way you can do it. No other way. And, and, and there's a reason, okay, that Jesus precedes the command with the certainty. Jesus precedes the command with the certainty. Okay? Before he tells you to go, be his witness, he tells you, he gives you a certainty, a promise that you're going to receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. And we need that power, don't we? We need God working inside of us. or We're never going to be able to keep this resolution, ever. If we don't have God working inside of us, the Holy Spirit is what inspires us, what keeps us going. 
It helps us. It leads us. It equips us. It comforts us. It drives us to reach lost people. That reach, that's one of our Bible fellowship principles that, that Pastor Graham was, was mentioning tonight, that we need to be going out. You know, if you're not growing as a Bible fellowship, if you're not bringing people in, right? That's what he's talking about, reaching. It's the Holy Spirit that's working inside of you that gives you that desire. You know, again, in the New Living Translation, I always go back and forth between my ESV and my New Living Translation. It's got word in the, two words in there that says confident hope. I just love those two words, confident hope. I mean, think about it. I mean, that just makes you feel good to say it, doesn't it? I've got confident hope. All right, that's what the Holy Spirit does for you. It gives you confident hope. Also gives you peace. You know, because when the, those times are hard out there, it gives you a lot of peace. Uh, Paul, over in 1 Thessalonians, he talks about this peace, and he describes it. I love this. I, you know, I, always, I also love how you can find little nuggets all over Scripture he calls it the joy of the Spirit. The joy of the Spirit. What do you think that means, the joy? What does it mean to you, the joy of the Spirit? Fulfillment. Sorry? Fulfillment. Fulfillment? What else? How do you think it means to have the joy of the Spirit? Sorry? Peace. peace. Yeah, that's how they define peace. I mean, when I think of the joy of the Spirit, okay, we went, we went duck hunting over uh, the New Year's, and these duck hunting dogs... Okay, it is freezing cold. <clears throat> They're soaking wet, and they've got to run out there in the rain and the cold and this water to get a duck that they put in their mouth to bring back to drop off. They get no benefit, no satisfaction from it whatsoever. But they're the happiest dogs you'll ever see in your life. They're sitting over there. There's just joy coming out of them like there's no tomorrow. That's what I think of when I think of joy of the spirit. No matter what you're going through, no matter how hard life is. No matter how difficult it is, no matter how discouraged you might be, you're like that dog. Okay, Anybody want to be like a dog? You're like that dog over there. But I looked at that dog. I'm like, why is that dog so happy? There's nothing to be happy about. But he's still happy. And we see this all the time, don't we, when we see the Holy Spirit working in people's lives, in Christians' lives. I see, as a deacon, I get to make hospital visits. And I say I get to because I enjoy it. I love going to hospital visits. Because when you go to hospital visits, you see just the raw emotion of people. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no pretense. There's no, you know, you're not putting up a fancy wall. You know, you're just at, a lot of times, it's just the bottom where all you have is, is God. You know, and you see the joy of the Spirit. I got to, over and over again, leading up to Christmas, get to see this, this young little girl, Lizzie Hawk, who uh, just, you know, she's battling leukemia and has got Down syndrome. But, man, you... I told her, I told her mom, when I went to see her the first time, I'm like, just by reading the notes, I can tell you that you're ministering to our deacons more than they're ministering to you. Just because of the joy of the Spirit. Every time you leave the room, she'd give you a little bag of, of these little kisses, uh, you know, just to share the love of Jesus to anybody that came into it. That's the joy of the Spirit, isn't it? That's what the joy of the Spirit's all about. And all Christians, we all have this. We all have the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has come into your life. Now, we talk about this amongst denominations a lot, okay, about, you know, the Holy Spirit and do you have it when you're a Christian? Is it something else or different? I believe personally that when you accept Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. That's what we believe as a church, okay? But I do say that I'm perplexed sometimes in trying to understand how two people that are supposedly Christians just look so different to me, you know? just looks so different in terms of how they act and 
you know, their resolve for Christ, their resolve to be a witness. I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time trying to understand what it is that's, that's different, you know, and I can only come to really two conclusions. You know, the first would be, you know, maybe they don't have it. You know, maybe just because they say they do, maybe they don't. If you can't see it playing out in their life, maybe they don't have it. You know, maybe Matthew 7.23 is a scary verse that's going to be more applicable than we know, right? That's the verse that says you have prophesied in my name and you, you heal people in my name and perform miracles in my name. But when you came to me, I said, depart, for I don't know you. That's scary to think about, though, isn't it? It says you'll be known by your fruit, though. So maybe, you know, maybe, just maybe, you're not a Christian. You know, it was A.W. Tozer that said that the, the Holy Spirit has never changed a man and then left him to be as of the world. Never happened. The Holy Spirit changes your life. Your actions are going to change. You're no longer going to look like the world. Okay? Or, I guess, the other alternative may be that they're just not utilizing it. Maybe they've got it, but, you know, it's just dead. They're just not doing anything. They're not turning it on. They've not activated it. You know, I talked about this several weeks ago. They've not activated the Holy Spirit, you know. We're all family here, so I, I get to give some embarrassing moments. This would be one of them. And uh, Spirit, Spencer thinks it's very embarrassing, so he's probably hiding back there. But there's a song, okay, that I like, all right, and I'm going to just say it. It's called The Fight Song. It's not a worship song, but it's one of my workout songs. You ever heard this song? I saw it on a movie, a movie trailer. I did not know, however, until Spencer told me that it was uh, Clinton's, um, Hillary Clinton's like uh, lead up song or something like that. So I'm not making a political statement though, all right? But I do like the song and every time I listen to the song, I'm gonna tell you why I like the song, okay? Because I like some of the words in the song. I'm telling you, I got a meaning behind this, all right? It says in the song, it says, this is my fight song. Don't leave just because of the song. I promise. It's, it gets better. It says, this is my fight song. Take back my life song. Prove I'm all right song. But this is the part I like. It says, my power is turned on. I love that. Every time I hear that, I think about it in terms of the Holy Spirit. That I've turned on the power of God in my life. And here's what I really like about it. Here's what I really like about it. It says in there, like a small boat on the ocean sending big waves into motion. I taught a whole lesson on the ripple effect of sin. Remember that? I talked about how you can just throw a tiny pebble of sin into your life or the lives of your family, and it'll ripple out and ripple out and ripple out, and it'll change people's lives forever. But let me tell you what. The same is equally true about somebody committing, committed, okay, resolved, to being a witness for Christ, all right? That little, that boat, that small wave that started, it started somewhere. That big hurricane, it started out as a small little wave somewhere. That's the power that we have inside of us, okay? There's another great part of that. Another part of it says, I only have one match, but I can make an explosion. I love that. Because you know what the match you've been given? It's the power of God. And you can create a massive explosion in your life. You can do something that will change the faith of the earth. you got to believe that because you can. You see it over and over again. God using somebody in a very intentional way that starts out small, that just changes lives. Creates an explosion. You know, and the great thing about explosions too, I'll tell you, is, is they get people's attention. 
You know, it's like a, there's nothing like a fire or an explosion that gets an attention, right? We came out of dinner one night and we saw a bunch of fire trucks and, and my little William wanted to go drive and find out where they were going. Why? Because there's just something about it, right? You just want to see what's happening. You want to see this, this big fire, this explosion, right? Bill Dickerson is the same way, right? <laughs> Got to go find out what's going on. Will you make an explosion for Christ and people will, will take notice, right? You'll wake them up to, to what you're doing and what God's doing in your life, all right? They'll take notice of what you're doing. You get to wake up the wonder. That's what Stephen Furtick preached on one time. You get to wake up the wonder. They wonder what's going on. See you and wonder, man, what has got a hold of that guy or that girl? That's what we get to do. We all have this opportunity to be an explosion, to use the Holy Spirit, to set off a wave that will just change the world. That should excite you. It does me. I think about it all the time. It's like, what, what can God do through me that will change lives? You know, we all have that because we all live with the Holy Spirit inside of us. We just got to turn this on. We got to turn this power on. And listen, this is important, right? This, all of this, this conversation is a little bit, you've probably heard a lot of this before in terms of uh, the study of Acts 1-8, but this is important stuff. You know, this matters, right? It's got eternal significance to all the people around us. It's what Pastor was talking about tonight, all right? Just bring him one, just bring him one more. It has eternal significance because, listen, Christ is coming back. It mentions it in there, right? talks about it, that Christ is coming back. If you went over and you studied uh, in 2 Peter, I think it's chapter 3, it talks about this, about the second coming of Christ. Okay, and it says that, it's talking about the reasons that maybe it's not happened already because everybody was thinking it was about to take place. And Peter says, well, it's because God doesn't want anyone to perish. Not a single person to perish. Because why? What pastor said not. Every soul matters. Every soul matters. And if you kept looking over there in that chapter and studying it, it says that we actually can play a part in this. It says that we can hasten his return. We can help by being a witness, by going out, because every soul matters. I saw a great illustration of this over the holidays, and uh, it was about a church. I printed it out because this is a better picture, but it's a church in Maryland. Uh, it was in the Washington Post, of all places. It's the first Baptist church there in Maryland. And it's about a Christmas play that they have every year, okay? And this was a picture of it. You can see a little bit, okay? It doesn't, doesn't look like it's a nativity scene. It doesn't look quite like Gift of Christmas here, but it's a small little church. I just want to read you this article because it kind of makes the point of Every Soul Matters. It says, Mary and Jeff, Joseph shuffled side by side down the concrete path until they arrived at a stable made of plywood and weathered two-by-fours. That's, that's the plywood and the weathered two-by-fours. The couple eased into bales of straw, leaned over the manger, and peered down at baby Jesus. The newborn before the two costumed teenagers was just a doll, swaddled in a sky-blue blanket stitched with a teddy bear, but the seriousness in their dark eyes made it hard to tell. The pair's earnestness, though, was being tested. They had been forced to abandon the, their miniature donkey, Buddy, who was acting particularly stubborn. And when the adoring wise men approached the manger with their gifts, apple cinnamon cider, Yankee candles rather than gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they numbered only two because the third sage was contending with a migraine. They lost one of their wise men. 
Then at the moment of heavenly host was supposed to emerge in divine splendor, nothing happened. Mercifully, perhaps, almost no one was there to see this mishap. The crowd for the night's performance included three men, two women, and Coco, a bundled-up poodle. Around the world, it says, each December, Christians celebrate one of their holiest holidays by reenacting Jesus' birth more than 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. Many productions are elaborate and professional, drawing thousands of visitors and donations. But many others, like this one at a local park in Savage, Maryland, are mounted in obscurity, void of pretense, and sustained by little more than faith. And so, for 16 years, the First Baptist Church in this town of 6,000 has hosted a live outdoor nativity. The church is tiny, with just 70 active members. It's a former mill town. It's just 25 miles north of Washington, the symbol of the nation's deep divide, but it felt much further away. It says, the lone nod to politics came from a message on the church's front sign If you want America to be great again, put Jesus first. The congregation hosts block parties, Easter egg hunts, and movie nights year-round, but no event is more important than the nativity. It's never mattered how much uh, or how many visitors show up or how miserable the weather. They do it because in different ways to each of them it's meaningful, even when the wind chill plunges to 19 degrees as it did that night. And now... After weeks of preparation, the nativity is just unraveled. So the pastor walked out from the darkness and gave a brief brief sermon on why the story of Jesus still matters. He says, we're sorry for the technical difficulties. He added that the angels are normally a little more glorious. And then he apologized for what he was about to do, an impromptu capella rendition of Away in the Manger. Then suddenly, midway through the second verse, relief arrived. When, O come, all ye faithful, blared through the speakers, and bright lights on the scaffolding behind the stable flashed on to illuminate the white-robed celestial spirits. Now it's working again. And at last, on the ruddy faces of the five spectators, faint smiles appeared. About a dozen people arrived for the second performance of the night, which was nearly flawless, and close to the same number showed up for the third. Up on the scaffolding, the angels waited as their breath fogged the air. The silver tinsel garland outlining the white robe shimmered in the moonlight. And they started asking, are we through? But but, uh, they weren't sure. The cast normally gave four performances, but what if nobody else came? Then, through the darkness, they saw something. Two visitors. No one hesitated. Mary and Joseph took their places. The shepherds circled the fake fire and the wise men hid behind the stable, and the angels prepared to sing. Isn't that a great story? It's a great story about good reminder, isn't it, that every soul matters? It's also a good reminder that, that it isn't the, what we do that brings fame and notoriety, and it's not necessarily how big of the production it is we have that, that pleases God, right? It is our resolve. To be his witness no matter what, no matter how hard it is, no matter the cost, even if only two people show up. That's what God's interested in. So for us, the now what? Our resolution this year, let's resolve, okay, let's firmly decide, all right, to be a witness for Christ in all that we do. Everywhere, every day, in every way. But don't forget 
the power of the Holy Spirit. Can't do it without Him. You know, how do you get that power? Surrender. You got to surrender. Submit. Okay, submit to God's will for your life. That's how you get the Holy Spirit. That's how He can use you. All right, can't do it without that power. Because God is always 100%. There's no 90% failures when you're dealing with God. So go out this year, 2017, be a witness. God needs you. He's coming back, may depend on it. Amen? Amen? All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for the new year that's ahead. Lord, I pray, God, that for each and every one of us, as we head into the months ahead of 2017, Lord, that we would be resolved to be your witness. Everywhere, every day, and every way, Lord, let us lead people to you and to your love. Lord, I pray, God, that as we go through this year, that you would protect us, that you would guide us, you would direct us, you would give us great strength and wisdom. Or where we need healing, you would give us healing. Where we need provision, you would give us provision. God, we cannot do this without you. So God, I pray, as Spencer saying earlier, that you would open up the heavens, that you would pour out your love, your power in our lives. Lord, that you would lead us where you have us, would have us to go. And that in everything that we do, we bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.